traveling when my schedule worked out on Christmas Eve. I thought the airport was going to be a zoo, so I got there a couple hours early. It wasn't. It wasn't crowded at all. So for me, that means coffee. So I get, I get down into my terminal, Terminal D, and I see the green sign. And when I travel these days, I always wear earbuds, you know, so I'm, I'm rocking out to Coldplay. And I see the sign, I get in line, and there's one woman in front of me. And she's having a very animated conversation with the barista. She's kind of waving her arms, and they're both smiling and laughing. So I wasn't in a rush, but out of curiosity, it popped out my earbuds. And sure enough, you know, they're going on about their holidays and their plans and the kids and presents. And she starts to move down the line. So it's my turn to order. And I was greeted with this very warm and sincere welcome. This woman said to me, hi, my name is Lily. What's your name? I said, I'm Ryan. She said, Ryan, what can I make for you today? I said, well, I, I want a grande pumpkin spice latte. She said, you want whipped cream on that, don't you? I said, yeah, yeah, I want the whipped cream. She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. She said, I'm going to make it extra hot, load it up with whipped cream, sprinkle a little nutmeg on top. That's how I like it. You're going to love it. I said, sounds great. She said, where are you going? I said, Cleveland. She said, are you going back to Cleveland to spend the holiday with your family? I said, yes. Now, at this point, I start looking around for the camera, right? I mean, I'm trying to get a latte. So I move down the line. And the conversation continues, and she's funny. She's asking me questions about my family and our holiday traditions. She's laughing, and I'm laughing. And she hands me my drink and says to me, Ryan, have a safe trip back to Cleveland. Go create some extraordinary memories with your family. When you come back through the Minneapolis airport, I want you to stop here and tell me all about it. There's <laughs> that. I get my drink, I start walking away, and I stop and I look back at this woman, and I think to myself, you know, it's, it's Christmas Eve. Most people would rather be anywhere else in the world than serving coffee in an airport. Not her. It was like she was meant to be there. And I, I couldn't help myself, I had to go back. So I did, I walked back and I said, excuse me, Lily, and, you know, she jumps around, Ryan, is everything okay with the latte? I said, no. I said, the latte is perfect. I just had to come back and ask you, what, what is your secret to making such meaningful connections over serving coffee? Well, she, she corrected me. She said, Ryan, I'm not serving coffee. I said, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> she had thought about this. She had thought about this. And what she told me was, I'm pouring happiness into people's lives. I said, you're pouring what? Like, what is pouring happiness? And her definition of pouring happiness. She wants to be happy in her life. She wants to be around happy people. She cares about her customers. She wants them to come back. So she chooses, even on Christmas Eve, to smile, to have fun, to help people, to just be happy. Instead of just focusing on how to be successful, focus on how to be helpful. The other thing she understands and masters straight away is the very specific and intentional decision around how she chooses to show up, even on Christmas Eve. You know this. A lot of things happen in work and in our lives that are beyond our sphere of influence or control. She doesn't control the weather in Minneapolis. Trust me, I live there. All she gets to own is how she chooses to respond to those things. 
decide how you show up. You know, it's interesting. When I when I met Lily, she would have had no way of knowing this, but I uh, I was pretty heavy in the heart and had a lot of, on my mind. My parents, both retired school teachers, married 45 years. About three months before that holiday, I got a call from mom. We got some really tough medical news about dad. Uh, it was a terminal diagnosis, and we knew we probably weren't going to have a lot of time. So I was sitting in that airport on Christmas Eve, not in the best place in the world. I will never forget that cup of coffee. Amen. So the kiddos are released for a children's church. And before we get started, I got a couple of things I want to say uh, real quick. First of all, we've got some uh, special visitors with us today. The Greens are here. Kelly will be speaking at the Spanish service, so welcome to them. Uh, they're missionaries that uh, this church sponsors, and it's good to see them. Uh, Lorena was telling me that her missionary son, I, I don't see him wave wherever you are. I saw him earlier today, and uh, he's in. And uh, so he has an opportunity to do some mission work in San Antonio, he also was telling me that he has an opportunity possibly to do mission work in Africa. So continue to pray him, pray for him as we support him. And finally, it's good to see Arch Kennedy here. Arch is here from Kansas, back home visiting with family and visiting us. And so it's always good to see, see Arch here. And for those of you that have been away, uh, it's good to see each and every one of your faces also. I give thanks for the opportunity for me to be away for a little while uh, doing some uh, teaching for Billy Graham's law enforcement uh, team, and so it's, uh, it's good to be back. Would you pray with me and pray for me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that you uh, bless this message, Father. May it be your message. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing unto your sight. Amen. Uh, one real quick thing, Pastor Mark reminded me, uh, the angel tree gifts if you didn't bring them today, if you'll get them to us by Wednesday, I think the youth are delivering them Sunday uh, after service. So just remember to, I'm sorry? Yeah, Wednesday night is okay. If you can get them in Wednesday, then we'll be fine. But they're going to deliver them Sunday. So thank you for being part of that ministry also. So this morning we're going to talk about joy. Oh, what an awesome video. Uh, and it talked about happiness. And we're going to talk about the difference between happiness and joy. And we're going to talk about how we make choices to be joyous and to have joy in our lives and to share joy. Uh, the video that, uh, that we showed, Melanie sent it to me earlier in the week. And <clears throat> here's a lady that gets a ton of emails and a ton of videos and stuff on the, the job that she has. And so uh, she made the comment to somebody one time, you know, if, if you want to bless me in my job, you'll quit sending me all these emails and all these videos. And so she said for some reason she just clicked on this one uh, to watch it. And she sent it to me, and when she sent it to me, I said, this is just God working. Uh, because I told her, I said, I'm speaking on joy this Sunday. What a great lead-in. What a great story about someone that chooses to share joy and to be joyous, even at work. So this morning, we're going to unpack the first chapter of Philippians, the first 18 verses, <clears throat> as Paul's talking about joy. In fact, the book of Philippians is Paul's letter of joy to the people there in Philippi. Last week, we heard George speak about the joy in believing and the joy in giving, the joy of sacrifice, the joy of just working for others. And today, we're going to talk about joy as we suffer and finding joy in suffering. 
You know, one of the pastors mentioned to me, they said, uh, we just need to unpack this whole book one month. And so we may do that in January. But I just want to start with just these first 18 verses. So as I start off, let me say that joy and happiness are often two completely different experiences. They can be tied together, and we have the freedom to make choices of how we experience joy and how we experience happiness. We can also choose to disregard joy. And in some circumstances that we have, we can decide to just have a wonderful pity party for ourselves and not look for any joy in the circumstances. The word happiness invokes a lot of different visions into our head, maybe the unwrapping of Christmas presents or the unwrapping of a birthday gift or strolling hand in hand with the people that you love uh, on a beach someplace or being surprised on your birthday with a, something special or responding as we do so often with just a deep belly laugh at a, at a comical story that we hear or funny situations that we're involved in. Or maybe it's vacationing in a very special spot. You see, everyone wants to be happy, and we, in our humanness, we really strive hard to find this ideal of happiness. Sometimes it's a lifelong pursuit for some of us. It involves spending money, collecting things, and searching for new and more gratifying experiences. So my question this morning is, what makes you happy? Would a new home make you happy? Would a new car make you happy? Ladies, would a new pair of shoes make you happy? And to the guys, what about some new tools? So what will truly make you happy? You see, one of the fallacies in Christian circles is that the goal of a believer is to be happy, and God does want us to be happy. But there's something fundamentally wrong with this approach. It treats the concepts of happiness and joy as the same. There's a distinct difference between happiness and joy. But if happiness depends upon your circumstances, what happens when your toys break or when your money runs out or a loved one dies or your health deteriorates? What happens when the party is over? Often happiness flees and despair sets in. In contrast, joy runs very deep. It runs deeper and it is stronger than happiness. It's a quite quiet confidence of God's assurance of his love and his work going on in our lives. That he will be with us no matter what. Happiness depends upon happenings. Joy depends upon Jesus Christ. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight when the circumstances are favorable. When the circumstances dictate it, I'm happy. Joy is deeper. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon a state of satisfaction or delight regardless of the circumstances. It's the willingness to state, all is well, despite how I feel at a given moment. Paul spends all this book sharing with the people of Philippi, speaking of joy. He writes a letter while he's in prison, while he's shackled, while he's chained. And he talks about the joy of being where he is. So open your books, your Bibles, to the first chapter of Philippians. And we'll begin with the first verse. Before I get started, I want to tell you that somebody came up with a brilliant concept. When somebody decided there was a great idea to put a playground in pediatrician's office. 
gives kids something to do. It takes their mind off maybe the pain or the problems. You know, how many kids stand in line and go, oh, mom, when's the next time I'm going to get to go to the doctor and get a shot? You know, we take them to get shots. We take them when they're ill. But when they get to that playground, they get in there and they get to play. And for a brief moment, they have joy. They're happy. They've left those problems behind and they're focusing on the moment. You see, God has designed us with a playroom. It's a playroom in your soul. Amid our circumstances, his joy can distract us from the discomfort of the pain we may be having. And all the time he is making provisions for, our, for change or for healing in our lives. First Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that this inexpensible, that you are filled with glory. Philippians 1, beginning with the first verse. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman colony of Philippi was in, eastern, or in northern Greece. In about 50 A.D., Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke ended up in Philippi. The church in Philippi consisted mostly of Gentiles, but they were believers. And because they were Gentiles, Paul in these writings doesn't reference Old Testament passages very much, but he does speak from his heart. So picking up in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the first of many times that Paul will use the word joy or rejoice in his letters. Depending upon your translation, it can be anywhere from 14 times to as many as 19 times that he mentions this. And he remembered the people of Philippi each time he prayed with the joy in thanksgiving. Paul is demonstrating the real joy of life in Christ. He was in prison, writing full of joy. Paul had faced excruciating poverty. He had had abundant wealth and everything in between. Whether the, regardless of the circumstances, Paul had learned to be content finding real joy as he focused all of his attention and energy on knowing Christ and obeying him. Picking up in the seventh verse, it is right for me to feel this way about you all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in, my, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear the love that Paul is writing with? He loved these people. 
We need to let God's love guide us to love others in the same manner. Paul's love sought for them to be able to discern right from wrong and to maintain Christian morals and values as they grow closer to one another and to Christ. The fruit of righteousness, he writes, includes the character traits flowing from the right relationship with God. There is no other way to gain righteousness than through Jesus Christ. As Paul thought of them, it brought joy to his heart. When he first came to Philippi, he was illegally arrested, beaten, placed in in stocks, and humiliated before the people. I'm not sure that that would bring a smile to my face, much less joy to my heart. Yet there they were, in Paul's mind, they were his partners. There was a communion between he and the people of Philippi. Think about this. Are we joyful for others? Do others consider you a partner in Christ? Paul's joy was in knowing that God's good work had begun and would be completed on the day of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur once said, God has no unfinished works. The God who saves is the God who justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. The God who begins the God, the God who begins is the God who completes. It may not always feel good, but God is good. So as we finish up this part of Philippians with the 12th verse, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served, has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all that rest, that all the rest about my imprisonment for, for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, preach Christ. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good, from the goodwill. The latter do it of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaims Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in presence or in in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul is not bitter about being imprisoned. Quite the opposite. He found opportunities to spread the good news. He realized that his current circumstances were not as important as he was to them. We are far too often looking for ways to come up with excuses about why things are going bad. We are far too busy trying to be discouraged about something that's going on and not encouraging others. You see, God is doing and joining, wants us to join him in joy, regardless of the circumstances. When we speak fearlessly, as Paul talked about, for Christ and live faithfully for him during difficult situations, we encourage the others around us to do the same. You should be an encourager to others by the way you live. If you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh is a guy that just has a cloud above his head. 
Something's wrong with everything. There are people that walk around like that. But Paul's amazing selfless attitude demonstrated not only his love for the Lord, but his humility about the situation. He did not condone, nor does God excuse, motives of others that are prideful. An amazing thing in these verses is that Paul can see God at work every step of the way. He's not going through the emotions. He's not checking off boxes. He is so rooted and engaged in God's work that he sees God every little step, every little moment. He feels and lives the joy of God and God's gracious work in him. So there are two ways to look at every situation and how it will affect you and how it will affect God's kingdom. Those are the two ways. You look at it, how's this going to affect me? And then you look at it in another way, how's it going to affect God's kingdom? Paul always concerns himself with how his circumstances might work to spread the good news. When he was unjustly in prison, he looked for ways to, for God to provide salvation to others. In times when he was assaulted, he preached the gospel. When kings accused him, he, his thoughts were sharing his faith in God's salvation. There's a story of a king in Africa who had a very, very close friend. They grew up together. This close friend was always at the king's side. And when they would go hunting, this close friend was the one that loaded his weapon and presented his weapon to the king to shoot the prey. This close friend had a saying, regardless of what was going on. He said, this is good. This close friend was with this, the king one day when they were out shooting, and he had handed him a rifle that he had loaded, and the king fired it, and it blew off the king's thumb. And immediately this good friend looked at the king, and he said, this is good. To which the king replied, this is not good. He proceeded to have his friend arrested and put in jail. About a year later, the king was hunting in an area where he shouldn't have been hunting. There were cannibals there, and the king was captured, tied up, and taken to the village. They began to stack wood. They began to put a stake in the ground, and they began to tie him to the stake. As they came to the near the time to set the wood on fire, they noticed that the king was missing the thumb. Being superstitious, they never ate anyone that was not whole. So they untied him and sent him on his way. As he returned home, he was reminded of the event that had cost him his thumb, and he felt remorse for his friend. He immediately went to jail to speak to his friend. He said to his friend, you are right. This is good that my thumb was blown off. And he proceeded to tell him the story about what had happened. The king said, so I am so sorry for sending you to prison. It's bad of me to have done this. No, his friend replied, this is good. The king said, what do you mean this is good? How can it be good? You spent a year in prison. How could this be good? The friend replied, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you in your other thumb. Often we encounter a new situation and our thoughts are not about God's kingdom. Instead, we look at self. When we face a crisis, we often become angry. 
When we do not get our own way, we often push others away and shut others out. And at the same time, we shut God out. We need to look at these situations as opportunities. What does God intend to do through these circumstances? If we remain self-centered, we will miss much. We will not see what God wants to accomplish through our experience. We will also miss the opportunity to gain experience and have a deeper understanding and love and reliance, faith in God. We miss the chance to grow ourselves as well as being a blessing to others. Ask this question. During these times of trials and tribulations, ask yourself this. Am I willing for God to use these circumstances to to demonstrate his saving power in those around me? In other words, am I willing to suffer so that someone else might see God's good work? Am I more concerned about what God is doing or what is happening to me? You know, young kids, I I don't know where they still have these, but I remember these as, as a young boy. You have these punching bags. They're about three feet tall. Got a smiley face on it. And you hit it, hit as hard as you can, and it bounces back. You can kick it, and it bounces back. You can hit it a dozen times, and it bounces back. It just keeps bouncing back. The only way you can get it not to bounce back is to let the air out of it, let the life out of it. Or to cut the sand that's in the bottom of it that stabilizes and is in the foundation to keep it bouncing back to you. So no matter what circumstances you are in, God wants you to bounce back. No matter your situation, the question is, are you coming back? Your ability to recover is because the foundation that is inside you, the Holy Spirit that is in your DNA, wants you to bounce back. Whatever external pressures you experience, you bounce back. This is the power of a blessed life. This is the power of joy as it helps us overcome situations. Psalm 1611 reads, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of you. At your right hand are pleasures. God has made us to be joyous. Another story of a king that had two criminals, both of them condemned to death. They both get the news that the king is going to pardon them. They have two different reactions to this. The first criminal was excited and he was full of joy as he looked forward to this pardon. He was on his way to death. Now he's given life because, not because of anything that he's done, but because what the king has done. The second criminal wondered, could this really be true? Is this a joke? Am I going to get there? And they go, nah, never mind. No one would do anything like this for me, he thought. He was terrified, and rather than having joy of the first criminal, he felt miserable. He worried about whether or not it was going to be true. In fact, he tried to convince the first criminal that he shouldn't be joyous and he shouldn't be excited because this may not happen. You see, you have choices to make in your situations. Do you depend upon yourself or man, or do you lean on God's understanding in the ways regardless of your understanding? The first criminal believed, and he was 
he had assurance and joy of his release. The second criminal had neither joy nor assurance of his release. You see, one looked at the words on the, printed on the piece of paper about his freedom, and he believed. That's the same way we should look at the words of God in our Bible. We read those, and we should believe. You see, the other one looked inside himself to see whether he really believed it. And because he saw himself, there was doubt. There was no joy because there was no relationship that he had with God. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In the middle of a tough situation, we should seek him. We should seek him for his joy. So do you have joy? Is, it, is a day at work, is it a joy, day of joy? Do you get up in the morning and think, yes, I get to go to work. I'm going to spread joy with someone, like the video that we saw. I'm going to make somebody smile. I'm going to make somebody wonder what in the wide world of sports is going on in that person's life. Is that the way you approach your job? Is that the way you approach your family? You know, during Christmas time, it's often, you know, that family's coming in, and everybody goes, oh, great, the family's getting together. But then in the back room, you're sitting there going, oh, Lord, they're all coming. They all actually are going to be here. But thank you, Lord, they're only staying two days. Where's the joy? You have the ability, no matter what the circumstances is, to know contentment in the excellent work that God is doing in you. Paul's prayer for them in this chapter, he wants them to grow in love, in a love that is decisive. It thrives in joy. This is a love of God that brings joy into your heart. The Holy Spirit is the joyous love in you. Do you show it? Do you share it? Lorena, the Paul in Philippians is single-minded. It's all about Jesus. He's not worried about what the others say. He focuses on the proclamation of the good news. If his so-called competitors are right about Jesus, he doesn't even care about their motives. He figures God's going to settle that matter later. When it comes to life, when it comes to relationships, to family, to work, to trials, to victories, to hardships... Paul is showing us the way to move forward toward the glory of joy. Joy is contagious. It's contagious because it's in your DNA to share with others. It's the Holy Spirit wanting to come out. You know, laughter can be contagious. Has anybody in this room ever seen somebody, they're just, they're just laughing, and you're not sure what they're laughing at, and they continue to laugh, and sooner you suddenly have a smile on your face, and the next thing you know, you're laughing. You have absolutely no clue why you're laughing. That's the way joy is. Share joy. Want to get through de demanding times? Find God in your difficulty. His love and joy is there. It is his promise to be with you. Demonstrate joy to others through the love of Christ. Give, your, give of yourself when you feel like that you have nothing to give. 
Sometimes when you sacrifice something, you really haven't lost anything. You're only passing it on to someone else. Grow in him and feel the joy that is around you, for it is within you. Father God.